what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall and this week we have a guest mr ryan buell hey 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 internets the only guest to have permanently affected the before and after show music yes whoa yep do you know in what way you have done that (laughs) <laughs> no, Ryan I, I am unaware. Do you remember the first time you were on this show and I used the phrase maconnaissance and you thought that yes. was hilarious? Well, the end of every episode since then has ended with us doing Menomina, but with maconnaissance instead. Oh, I'm glad I could contribute to the podcast. Without fail, that has gone at the end of every episode since Terminator Genesis. <laughs> that, that gives me a big old happy. And also, a fan favorite, you are the guest that I have gotten the most feedback about and everyone loves you. So, Aww. welcome back. Yes, um, that, that warms my cold dead heart. <laughs> yeah, uh, people love you, man. So, I'm glad you're you're here to talk about this cold dead movie. Um, <laughs> Precursor. <laughs> Yeah, spoilers. Yep. But before we get into that, <laughs> um, what <laughs> what have you guys been watching this week, Corey? Well, I watch a couple things, um, and one of the movies we'll talk about later in the segment. But I watched the movie Stranger Than Fiction. I love that movie yes. so much. It's That's so one of my good. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I, do, I do enjoy it. It's it's really good. It's like Will Ferrell at his best. It's the best thing he's ever done. Yeah. And, you know, you throw uh, Emma Thompson in there, and it's just like, bam! Yep. So, yeah, it's really good. I love that movie. Um, Hannah was like, oh, we should watch that. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And I was like, I always forget how much I love that movie. It's so good. I want a Seafoam Green Telecaster. (laughs) Yeah. Stratocaster? Yeah. Stratocaster just because of that movie. So good. Gosh. So that... And then the other thing, which I'm sure Ryan will probably touch on too, is I watched the first episode of the new season of Daredevil. And I've been getting caught up on it, yeah. It's so good. I'm so excited. I watched that first episode and I just haven't been able to watch one since because Hannah's not like super into Daredevil, so I tend to have to watch it other times when we're not watching something together, but man, it's so good. Um, I love it. The writing's so good. The action's so good. Just even how they set up introing Punisher in this season, I was just like, oh, it's done so well. And when I saw the second trailer, because they kind of had, like, different stages of trailers when they came out, I kind of got a little bit worried, because the first trailer kind of built it as, like, okay, it's just going to be Punisher and Daredevil, and, Mm -hmm. like, I'm familiar with their arc. Um, And going off the first season, it was like, okay, it was mainly Daredevil and Fisk. And so when I saw that second trailer and it was kind of cut with, like, Punisher, Elektra, The Hand, I was kind of like, 
Oh no. <laughs> Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3. <laughs> but they have 13 hours to tell the whole yes, story. Yes, yes, yeah. they so. do. And I have a lot of faith in the team after the first season of Daredevil. Hmm. And after watching that first episode of the second season, I'm like, yeah, they're probably going to be able to handle this and do a good job with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just going to be like a Spider-Man 3, too many characters, too many subplots that never get resolved. I don't think it's going to be that. So I'm excited. It, it was really good, and I'm itching to watch some more. Ryan, what about you? Uh, for me, Daredevil has been kind of my, my bread and butter. Uh, and I can tell you emphatically, it is nothing like Spider-Man 3. I've gotten through the first <laughs> four episodes. Uh, Daredevil, the series, period, has got the best representation of Daredevil I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now the best representation of the Punisher. That I have ever seen. Sweet. And I've seen the two the two pre-releases. I haven't seen the original original. With, with Dolph Lundgren? Yes. <laughs> I want to just yeah. for the sake of completionist. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Oh, it is it is amazing. They get the psychology between the two characters down packed. That's awesome. Justice. What is justice? Yeah. What does that mm-hmm. um, encompass? Uh, just love that show. Yeah. I well, think. I mean, and, and basically Daredevil meeting Punisher is essentially Batman meeting Punisher. Yeah. Yeah. So, that I mean, Daredevil and Batman have very similar ideals, so that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Did you know there was actually a, uh, a comic where the Batman and the Punisher were together? I read it. Have you read it? Yeah, Kristen the, owns the it. The last line the Punisher gives, I think, to Batman, where, something about the Joker, I haven't read it. But he was telling, you know, about Batman and jo- or the Joker, mm-hmm. like, you deserve each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that? yeah. Oh. Yeah. Is, is there a graphic novel on that, or just you have the individual issues? It's like a weird... It's kind of like how The Killing Joke is, because, like, The Killing Joke is, an, is a single issue of the comic, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like that. It's like a weird paperback version of, like, it's 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 just the single issue, but it's bound yeah. kind of like a trade paperback. Okay, so it's a complete story, like a deluxe yeah. almost. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but I think there was a single issue of it. Mm. I just think that it was like a popular thing. So it, well, I don't really know, but okay. I'm pretty sure that's <clears throat> what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else? Uh, no. I mean, I think the, uh, literally the last movie I probably saw was Deadpool. Oh, wow. So a while back. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, my life is pretty, uh, pretty hectic. So yeah. But you liked Deadpool. Oh, I nice. love Deadpool. Well, you know I me. Mean? Daredevil and Deadpool are like yeah, those are your guys, which is hilarious because two completely, <laughs> two completely different things. Yeah. Well, you know, Deadpool. Oh, Deadpool. I used to propose to my wife. Yes, you guys Deadpool, are Deadpool and Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. We got our, our picture made. Uh, you know, they can do like the uh, what do they call that? The caricatures. Caricatures, and we yeah. got it with Deadpool and Harley Quinn. Anyways, I love the movie. Ryan Reynolds killed it. Yeah, he was he amazing. Was really in it. So funny. So many scenes that made me cringe and laugh at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel I like think. they nailed the character of Deadpool. Yeah, they he got that down pretty pretty well. And the costume was sweet. Yeah, yeah. Which is we'll be talking about <laughs> this come Civil War, but like the <laughs> animated eyes, mm-hmm. yeah, really yeah. really translated well. I was they surprised. Did. They did a good job. I, I was glad they went with that that route instead of some practical effect. They yeah, went with more a faithful adaptation. Yeah, we actually saw a handful of things this week. The first is we actually got the opportunity to go to a theater and watch the Ten Commandments oh, on the yeah. big screen. Wow. And it was so good. I have not actually seen the movie since I was a child. And when I saw it as a child, it was on television, which means it was on really late into the night. So I actually fell asleep before the movie ended. Yeah. 
And so I'd never seen the movie all the way through, and when I had, it was chopped up with commercials. This was the full experience. Mm -hmm. And it was so good. Oh my gosh. I don't know how familiar you guys are with this movie. Vaguely. I know. I I actually, uh, I think Lisa owns it. I haven't watched it. Really? Fully, no. Knowing, that's so weird, knowing your parents that... (laughs) (laughs) You guys haven't watched that yet? Yeah, that's really surprising. Of course, you are talking to the guy who didn't know the full ending of The Sound of Music till about 10, 13 years later. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been shared before. So yeah, I've never seen The Sound of Music, actually. You've never seen it? Mm-mm, not even a little bit. Wow. Well, yeah. Just so you know, the Nazi show. <laughs> yes, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of There's that. There's Nazis in it? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Imagine that, but not knowing it. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, anyway, so the movie is... There's this crazy history behind it in that it started filming in 1952 and came out in 1956, so it took four years to make they Whoa. built all the sets in Egypt to do the exterior shots and then built all the, the sets on a soundstage in L.A. to do all the interior shots. It cost $13 million, not adjusted for inflation Whoa. in 1952 money. Dang. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. They, they did an epic film, right? Yeah. yeah. Literal cast of thousands. Like, the, the actual Exodus scene is just, literally, they just got thousands of people to go walk it wow. around. It's so crazy. And the version we we saw was the full roadshow version. So it had an overture, an intermission, and an introduction from Cecil B. DeMille, the director, which was cool. Yeah. So it was obviously (laughs) he's been dead for years. Uh, Ten Commandments was his last film. And so he walks out onto a stage and intros it. And he's like, hey, I know it's weird that I'm doing this, but I'm doing this. And he talks about the overall theme of the movie, which I felt kind of dumb for never connecting before. It's an anti-communist picture because it was done at the height of the Red Scare. (laughs) Um, But he talks about like that the, the main theme of the movie is whether a man is truly free because he belongs to God or if he's controlled by his government. And I was like, oh, the oh. Ruskies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. 1956 <laughs> money. Got it. Uh, so that was that was just a cool, like, that was an interesting thing, to, like, piece to, of, of trivia that, like, m- affected how I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. Like, go see it. Mm-hmm. For sh- it's so good. Um, but it was just like, oh yeah, this is like totally anti-communism. I get it now. <laughs> and it's not like they manipulated the story to be that. Yeah. But once you know that was the intent behind it, you can totally see it. Yeah. Um, just because of the basics of the story. Yeah. And what I really liked is he basically gives you a bibliography of like, look, I know not all of this is out of the Bible account, but mm-hmm. we use these ancient historians accounts to fill in the gaps yeah. that the Bible leaves. So here's our sources. And like, even the main credits have the sources too. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's like, it feels like the world's most well-made <laughs> research paper. <Yeah. laughs> um, but I mean, Charlton Heston is so good in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yul Brenner as Ramses is incredible in this movie he actually did not get nominated for an oscar that year because he got nominated for best actor for the king and i oh wow they came out of the best they came out in the same year wow so <laughs> they were competing against each other and but yule brenner was in both and yule brenner won best actor that year against charlton heston for for the, um, wow. for the king and i oh wow yeah <laughs> and the king and i won best picture that year and i the ten commandments lost to it 
which I was like, what the heck lost to this movie? And I looked hmm. it up and it was The King and I. But yeah, so Ten Commandments is sweet. Like, go see it. It's so well made. And like, The Parting of the Red Sea is amazing. Because it was 1956. Yeah. Like, you can't... CGI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was reading that they, they had trivia before the movie, and it said that basically what happened is they dumped 300,000 gallons of water into, like, a basin, and then just played the footage backwards, and that's how... Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's so crazy. That's awesome, though. Yeah. It, and it looks so good still. It was like... It's a 60-year-old movie now. And it's so, it's worth watching. Like, it's, it is three hours and 45 minutes. So, like. A commitment. Yes. We were in this for the long time. Yeah, but so (laughs) worth it. Like, at no point did I feel like it drug. Like, it felt Mm -hmm. like it totally earned its runtime, which is something we'll talk about later. (laughs) As we're talking about about a two and a half hour movie today. All these subtle jabs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's all we watched this week. And uh, before we get into our next segment, we've been talking about a piece of news. Yep. And I have, I think, the perfect two guys to be discussing this with. Indiana Jones is coming back. Is, is it a oh. reboot or is it... Indiana oh, Jones yeah. 5 is happening <laughs> with Harrison Ford and Spielberg. I, I forgot. Shia LaBeouf, though? No idea. 2019 release date. Your boy Harrison's going to be 77 years old. <laughs> I thought they were going to get in... I, th- I, I, their people are so reboot happy. I thought that was the route they were going to take. Me too. Nope. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Who's, who wrote the script? That's what I was uh, They just hired the writer for... Okay, so not George Lucas. Uh, yeah. Nope, but it's the guy who <laughs> wrote Nicks. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What? The guy who wrote Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is writing uh, Indiana Jones 5. Oh, no. George Lucas just broke the story for Indiana Jones okay. and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Some other guy wrote it. Well, where can they go? Because he's married and he's got the LaBeouf with him. I don't know. I have no idea. How do I feel about this? <laughs> go I, for it. <laughs> I, I love Indiana Jones. He's awesome. But Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I think you guys will probably attest to this, that was one of the... <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the biggest letdowns. Yeah. Uh, in a franchise that I've ever experienced. I was like, what is happening? You're old and we're making all these old jokes and the script is terrible. Just even like the opening like five minutes, it's like, oh, look, there's there's gophers and now that, that gopher hill is a mountain and like he is in a nuclear test site and he's going to get in the fridge and like, what the heck? And that defense, <laughs> I think that's the only part of the movie that's salvageable is that fridge scene. No. <laughs> <laughs> said with sarcasm, maybe. Oh, man. So I, I just, it doesn't, it, I don't think it needs to happen. I mean, I'm all for like, we talked about this with Star Wars a whole bunch. I'm all for like kind of passing the torch or kind of doing like a reboot or soft reboot or whatever, whatever. But when I heard that like Harrison Ford was coming back in this, I was just like, "There's no way." It looked like he was already struggling in Crystal Skull, and how old was he? That- and Star Wars. Yes, yeah. yes, that mo- Crystal Skull is almost ten years old, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. Well, like maybe- when it comes out, <laughs> Crystal Skull will be eleven. Oh, good God, man. Maybe Ooh. they'll kill off Indy. Yeah, that's... He's just, like, killing off. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think so, though, because Disney is going to try to milk this as long as they can. I think this is Harrison Ford's retirement picture. You think so? I, I think know. I think he's doing it, and then he's like, I'm out. I've done my two best characters, my two most beloved characters one last time. Dunzo. I've been wanting to quit since I was 53. Like, mm. 
Ryan, what do you what do you think about this? Uh, where to begin? I I think it's I'll see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll yeah. see it. I'm. I like George Lucas. I didn't like what he did with the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. I did like. I might get hate for this. I did like kind of some of the themes he was trying to go in there, where Harrison Ford became Sean Connery. Mm. The whole father something. It was poorly executed. It was a terrible movie. But <laughs> I could see that and I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. That aside, this new movie coming up, I think they're going to have to somehow, he's, he's going to have to have left his wife, left the kid. He's on his own. Kind of a reboot in that sense. Well, he, the, that is gone now. He's just a drunken archaeologist somewhere. Yeah. And then I could say, okay, but I'll see it. I think... <laughs> That they can make a good movie out of this, and I think this is how you do it. You have Indy on the verge of retirement. He's 77. Um, he's getting ready to put down uh, his his archaeological uh, exploits and his mm-hmm. teaching career. But there's that one last case that he was never able to crack. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. for old time's sake, he busts it out. And we see in flashback with a new actor playing Indy, a younger version of himself going on the adventures that led to these pieces of evidence that old Indy is now looking at. But then old Indy gets to do the detective work and he's able to put all this evidence together to find out where this last artifact is. And then you give old Indy like one last hurrah to go out and find this this last artifact and that's how you cap it. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Plus, you can then pass the torch to a younger actor yep. who will then take over of just like, oh, here's a bunch of in-between stories. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. that's... Young Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Um, Bradley Cooper. I, just, I think Bradley Cooper would be the is the best actor to play Indiana Jones right now. What about... Um, Chris Pratt? Pratt? Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic World has burned the bridge for MJ. Um, no, I just think that we shouldn't be casting Chris Pratt in all Everything. the Harrison Ford roles. Yeah. Because he's basically new Han Solo with Guardians. So yep. I'm fine with letting him be Han Solo. I don't need him to also be Indiana Jones. Yeah. So And I think Bradley Cooper can grow a better stubble than Chris Pratt can. So Probably. I think he just has like more of an Indiana Jones persona to him. Yeah. Um. But so I think that's the way you do it right. Will yeah. they do that? Likely not. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I'm I'm at this weird crossroads where like I don't want Harrison Ford to play it, but I still want Spielberg to direct all of them because he's my favorite director. Yeah. So and if you watch, like Lucas probably isn't going to be involved because <laughs> Disney's doing it and. Lucas is like he's not he's like curmudgeonly about Disney so he's not like on the best terms with them but he also doesn't out and out hate them but he doesn't really want to work with them either like mm-hmm. that's kind of the vibe he was giving off during the Star Wars uh, premieres and stuff yeah where he was like fine like fine go do what you need to do just don't involve me so I think he's probably going to take the same mm-hmm. attitude to Indy so I don't think we need to be worried about him being involved uh, like you said, I like George Lucas too. I, mm. I mean, I defend the prequels tooth and nail. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I, I got nothing on Indiana Jones at the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I got, I got no defense. You got for that. something nope. now. <laughs> um, but if you watch the special features on that DVD, it's two ten-minute featurettes of Spielberg going, "This was George's idea," <laughs> and uh, yeah. basically telling stories about how George Lucas forced him into this plot when he didn't want to do it. So, I think there is some hope there. It's like it's a real mixed bag. And we'll just have to see how it goes. I, I just can't see 
77-year-old Harrison Ford doing Yeah, there's Indiana no way. Jones there's stuff. no way. Like, he looked real haggard in Star Wars. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, a, I'm also a little bit worried about that guy dying before. Yeah. <laughs> you get half the movie shot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I'm always welcoming to a new Spielberg movie, but it just seems like a very strange decision. People will go see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'll make money. I'm sure it will. But, gosh. I, the podcast will be good around it, I guess. Yeah. That's how I have to judge my movies nowadays. <laughs> um... So we'll take a quick break, and it's a before episode, so we'll be back with a new installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Corey, you're teaching today. I am. And after that, we will be back to talk about the meat and potatoes of this episode, which I'm very excited to get into. Before we get into the Before and After Show Film School, um, Ryan, this is a bit of news that you will be here to uh, celebrate with us. We are launching a YouTube channel. (laughs) Yeah. There are a handful of videos up there right now. Mm. I don't know off the top of my head. Corey, you're doing a lot of the YouTube managing. Yes, I can I can tell you. Uh we've started this YouTube channel and it's kind of like supplemental stuff that goes in tandem with the podcast, not always directly related. So right now we have a series of videos up like our favorite movies where MJ and I have talked about different movies. So I think we have one up of you talking about Creed. Whoop whoop. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Hey. I have one up of Spider-Man 2. Not the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 by Sam Raimi. And uh, one of the Blues Brothers. Really? Yes. I did not know that was one of your favorite movies. Yes. I have not seen it. What? Yep. Okay, well, you're going to have to go watch this video and then go watch (laughs) the actual Blues Brothers movie. But yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah. got that going up, and we're hoping to do... Probably like one video a week. Um, we'll kind of see. And Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So where do <laughs> they find us? Um, you can just search on YouTube, the before and after show, and you'll our channel will come up. Um, MJ will probably also throw some links on Facebook when yes. we announce this. And in the SoundCloud, uh, like whatever, the, the, the description. The description. Yeah. yeah. We'll have the links there, too. And, yeah, so we're excited. Um, Go check it out, guys. Subscribe to the channel. Comment. Tell us what you think. Um, It'll be a very... It's a really cool way to just get some more listener participation and for other ways for you guys to interact with us. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm subscribing when I get home. All right. (laughs) Aw, shucks. (laughs) With another segment of film school for the before and after show. Are you excited, MJ? I am. <clears throat> so, a uh, quick recap what we talked about last time. Sure. Uh, <laughs> we began our journey through the history of film. And we started with a silent era movie called mm-hmm. The Gold Rush. Um, which is a Charlie Chaplin movie from 1925 slash 1941. Mm-hmm. To get the full story on that, listen to those episodes. Yeah. And... Yeah, so that was uh, basically it. We started with the one of the three greats of silent comedy, Mr. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, and why did why did we start film school? What's the intent of it? 
to watch movies better. And yes. that goes for you at home listening as well as us here, you know. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of tangential knowledge of, I think, film history and even film structure slash theory, if yes. you will. But really, like, digging mm-hmm. into it, I think, is going to help everyone in the long run. Um, so if you are following along, we give you two weeks to watch the movie. So every before episode mm-hmm. is going to have a new segment of the before and after show film school and you'll have that many weeks to watch the movie as opposed to the one week turnaround we usually do Mm -hmm. and we will let you know your available options as far as uh watching the movie goes whether it's on streaming or if you have to go rent it from your local library or maybe Mm -hmm. you have to purchase it in some cases or digitally rent it yeah those are the big uh talking points when it comes to film school yeah and like mj said last time we're gonna kind of alternate between who is the teacher and who is the student and last time we were talking a lot about film history and so this time i wanted to focus on something that is very i guess it's a good starting point for when you talk about film um and that is the structure of a narrative the structure Mm -hmm. of a plot and I would I would say when we watch a film, films are stories, and you know, like we all we all experience stories through different forms, whether it's through a book or a comic book or movies, and specifically in film, um, a narrative is kind of what holds the whole thing together. And so a lot of the times you'll hear us talking about things like pacing, or it's like it was too slow, or uh, there was parts where it just felt like things move too fast or something. And a lot of that is tied to how the narrative of a film works. Um, Kind of the different structures, like the first act, the second act, the third act. And so in this episode, it's going to kind of be us breaking down what an overall structure of a plot or a narrative is. and then Specifically in film. Yes, specifically in film. And then we're going to have a film that I've chosen that... We're going to, like, watch and then kind of come back next week, like, with some homework that we've done so that you can kind of learn, like, kind of take the things we've learned in this episode and try to, like, watch out for them in the film that we're watching. So, MJ, when you hear narrative, when you hear plot, what first comes to mind for you? Uh, The three-act structure of a film. Mm -hmm. That and the little uh, plot, the little hill. The little plot plot graph. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think I had, I had like a note here. I feel like a lot of the problems um, that we see in films when we're talking about like pacing or things like that, a lot of that is due to the lack of <clears throat> the writer or um, the screenwriter not understanding narrative or not building a narrative in a correctly paced way. And so, like you had mentioned, there is a three-act structure to a plot or a narrative in the film and we're going to kind of go through those piece by piece so in the first act and you kind of imagine there's like this diagram where it kind of we start here at the bottom it kind of goes up and then it hits a point and then it kind of comes back down and that's kind of what we're going to walk through here um you probably saw something similar in your english yeah in like a literary you know if you want a literary like structure of a novel or what short story whatever it be so, in the first act of the film, there needs to be 
this is where all the exposition happens. And what I mean by exposition is where we get introduced to the characters, we get introduced to the overall themes of the movie, we get the setting, where things are happening, and it's very much kind of like our first view into the world, first view into like what the film kind of like its intents, its purposes. And so you've probably heard us talk a lot about like, oh, well, this film was aiming to do this, or this film kind of had, it had this undercurrent of this theme going on. Where all that stuff shows up is in the first act, in the exposition. And there's not, there's not any big things that need to happen. It's just kind of the film establishes, these are the expectations we're giving you. And when films do that correctly, um, we're like, okay, I know what you're intending to do here. Um, when films don't do that and we feel like that happens like later in the film or it gets shoved in near the ending, that's where we're kind of like, um, you didn't present that correctly or you kind of undermined what you were trying to do. So yeah, the exposition sets the characters, the themes, the setting, it sets all of that stuff up. And before we kind of move into the second act, we have the inciting incident. And essentially what that means is this is the event, action, whatever, that establishes the type of conflict that we're going to have in the movie. And when we have this inciting incident, it establishes the conflict and we see, I think, one of two or three types of conflicts. We have either an external conflict where the conflict is happening from some external force. So it's like, we have to go and battle this thing. We have to go and go on this mission and like take this thing someplace else. There's some sort of external factor that is imposing itself on the main character or main characters of the situation. So along with that, we have an internal conflict, whereas a lot of the movie is focused on the main character, main characters, and their struggle with whatever is going on like internally, whether it's a battle of like morality, like whether they should do something or not do something. And that very much takes place in their head. And so between those two, the external and the internal one, there's kind of a third option, like I mentioned, which is kind of a combination of those. And some films have it where it's like, there is that internal conflict going on with the characters or characters, but then there's some external factor too, like maybe some person they have to overcome or some goal that is kind of linked to this internal conflict of like, oh, I can never do that thing because I have some intrinsic fear of it. So there is a physical thing, but they're having to overcome something mentally in their head too. Like we, when we talked about Cloverfield Lane, 10 Cloverfield Lane last time, it kind of had both of those external factors, some internal and some external conflict by the presence of John Goodman, but then her having to kind of work out a lot of her fears in her mind about like, you know, her, her abusive relationship with her dad and like running away from problems and stuff like that. Yeah, or Jaws where yes. he's faced with, do I close the beaches, do I not, but also I have to deal with the shark. Yes, so first act, exposition, inciting incident establishes the conflict. And from there, we move on to the second act of the film. And this is where probably a majority of most films, if they are set up correctly, this is where a majority of the film lies mm -hmm. in the second act. And so we have what a lot of people would call the rising action or the building of tension. This is where the different things, after we've had the inciting incident, like this is where things start to build the tension towards the like the con the conflict and ultimately the climax. Um, this is where a movie will introduce subplots, 
it'll introduce like maybe backstories for some of the other characters if they're handled correctly. This is also the part of the movie where a lot of films can go awry because they try to put too much in there and they don't pace it correctly. So we just get like an influx of stuff that they don't either have enough time to resolve. It, there's so much stuff in there that it just becomes overwhelming and we lose sight of those main themes that the exposition was trying to establish. Or we get dumped even more exposition <laughs> that should have happened in the first act. They're now trying to make up for it in the second act. Yes, or just random characters that show up. But the rising action should very much be like kind of a stepping stone that builds upon the exposition and the inciting incident, like displaying the conflict that we got in the first act. So very much kind of like a staircase. From there, in the second act, we come to the climax um, of the film. And you might be like, but Corey, we're in the second act. You said there's three acts. Why is the climax in the second act? Generally, the climax is not always the end of the film. Um, the climax is where I have in my notes here, it can whether be like there might be like a big battle, there's a confrontation of some sort. Um, but it, the main thing, it's kind of the point of the film where something changes. It's not necessarily the end of the story. It's the point where maybe the hero or the heroine overcomes like some obstacle, whether it be like internal or external. And because of that change or overcoming that, that's going to affect the rest of like the movie. It's going to send it into a different trajectory. Um, and so, like I said, good examples of this where you think of something like, oh, there's a big battle or there's a confrontation between two people who have been like opposing. Or maybe it's like, you know, it, you think of a sports film. It's that final climactic game that they're going to play and like what, how is that going to play out? And when those events happen, it's not necessarily the end of the film. There's still, like, those things have repercussions on the rest of the movie. Um, and the climax is usually, like, you know, where we see the, the big battles, the big, like, you know, maybe the big monologues. The, it's, the, it's the biggest part of the movie um, by far. And so coming off of that, we will have the third act of a film, which is essentially kind of like we have this big huge like explosion and like how do we resolve it and so in the third act we have falling action was which is essentially okay all that stuff has happened now what happens to all those characters and all those subplots that were introduced in the second act how do those themes that we saw in the beginning like in the exposition how do those kind of start to to coalesce and tie up so that this whole thing looks coherent um we also have after the falling action, we come to a resolution. And this is another thing where it's like, films can have kind of, I guess there's three, there's kind of two, it's kind of similar in how conflicts, but there can be hard resolutions where it's like we're given a definitive answer on something. Um, it's just kind of like a closed case. We can have soft conclusion, like soft resolution, where it's kind of like we get an answer to our questions, but... Some, some of it is left open for us as the viewers to interpret. Kind of, I think of a movie like Shutter Island, which mm -hmm. is you go through the whole narrative and then you get to the end and it's like, did he imagine that? Was it all in his mind? Did that actually really happen? That's more of a soft resolution. And then like the third I said is kind of sometimes movies will try to do a mix of those. So there is a definitive, like this thing happened, but 
maybe some of this other stuff, the, it, the interpretation is left up to the audience. So it's like, this thing happened, it's up to you to define what that means. Yeah. And so those are a lot of the, the three types of resolutions that we see in the third act of the film. And so that is kind of the overall general structure of film when we look at film. The three-act structure um, with the exposition, the inciting incident in the first act, in the second act, the rising action and the climax. And in the third act, the falling action or the resolution that is a hard or a soft resolution. And so that is kind of film structure in a very small nutshell. Again, like when we do these segments, it's not to like overwhelm anybody, but it's just to, we're giving you some of the information that we've learned that will help us all to just watch movies better. Yeah. And uh, MJ, any thoughts on that before I kind of talk about what our movie assignment homework will be for the next time we revisit this? Um, no, except Film Crit Hulk has an article that I would, I'm going to read. I've never read the article, but mm-hmm. I'm going to read it. And I would encourage you, I know you just learned about this, but you've, you're probably all pretty familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Film Crit has an article called The Myth of the Three-Act Structure, and yeah. he asserts that the three-act structure actually does not exist. Really? Yep. So <laughs> I'm going to read that between now and then. Yeah. I'd and, like to, yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'll send it to you too, but, and, and I'll put it in the, the mm-hmm. description of, of this episode on SoundCloud so you guys can get to it as well. Yeah. And so the movie that I chose for this assignment for us to kind of like we know these things, but just for you guys as an audience to like participate with us is um, we're going to watch a film and just kind of see if we can pick out these things and specific moments in the movie where it's like, oh, yeah, that's very much like that's the inciting incident that starts this mm-hmm. whole thing. Or, um, oh, yeah, that's definitely a point of rising action, like a new subplot's introduced. So just different things. You can watch the film and kind of just take mental notes or physical notes if you want to. I don't know how studious you want to be in this film school but the movie i chose actually i mentioned it earlier in the podcast is stranger than fiction oh okay and because it's based off of like the whole premise is she's writing a novel in it i was watching it and it's just very easy to pick up on certain things and so it's a really good movie with will ferrell and emma thompson but it's really easy to just pick up these things i'm talking about like oh that's exposition yeah and there's a very clear transition okay now she's kind of in the second act of like the film and she's writing and that very much is falling action or whatever so those things are very easy i feel like to find in that movie and it will be a good place to start to like kind of critically look at films if you've never really kind of thought about them in this way yeah and i will say that horror movies actually don't follow this structure necessarily Mm -hmm. and that's like that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why they're scary is because from the get-go, any good horror movie from the get-go is already screwing with the structure, so it's making you uncomfortable because it's not, like, you're subconsciously used to that. Yeah. So any good horror movie starts off with the inciting incident. Yep. Um, rather than exposition. So you get this inciting incident, and then you get the exposition. Yeah. And so the structure is a little bit flipped from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But I, I would still, and I, I want to read that article by Film Crit Hulk, but I would still assert that even in like different genres where they kind of subvert it, they're still kind of using the same three act overall structure. Yeah. I mean, like, where are we going to start? Or some movies that kind of do the fragmented storytelling, like you've told me about, like Memento. Oh, yeah. 
in even movies like Eternal Sunshine, where it's kind of you get things in a different order. It's still kind of juggling that three act structure. Yeah, <clears throat> that's true. Yeah, so um, for next time, you guys uh, can watch Stranger Than Fiction. I think it's available on Amazon uh, Instant Video to rent. I think maybe like two ninety nine for like a standard definition version. Um, and I think you can probably get an HD one too. That um, I know, like local video stores, it's a fairly probably popular movie that you could find probably used for like I don't know five seven bucks. Um, yeah, it's it's a movie worth buying. Your library, go to the library. Yeah, you can find that at your local library probably. But yeah, I would I would say it's worth investing. It's a really good film. Yeah, it <laughs> so, is very good. Um, so yeah, next time on the next before segment, we will come back and kind of. Uh, walk through like looking at this three act structure and just seeing like could we find some of those things like I'll have the answers so to speak of like oh this was a point of rising action in Stranger Than Fiction and this was a point of like um, confrontation or climax in Stranger Than Fiction and so you can kind of just kind of compare and we'll talk through some of that stuff but yeah I think that will uh, wrap us up for film school yeah cool all right we are going to take another short break And we're back. And we're here today to talk about... I'm so sorry, Ryan. You're on for really bad movies. <laughs> no, those make for the best episode. It, it's true. This is going to be a good episode. But we're here to talk about Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. Uh, the excitement and the crowd goes mild. Yeah, yeah. So this is the follow-up to the 2013 movie Man of Steel. Um... So, and this is the first time Batman and Superman have met on screen in a feature-length film. This is supposed to be the big kickoff to the DC Extended Universe in cinema, and it's going to encompass the Justice League movies and The Flash and Suicide Squad and Aquaman and all this stuff. Well, I guess we should get into what did we think about Man of Steel first? Because because Man of Steel yeah. was directed by Zack Snyder, who is yeah. also directing Batman v Superman, and his is also going to be directing both parts of the Justice League movie. So Man of Steel comes out in 2013. It's a gritty Superman reboot. It's produced by Christopher Nolan, who had just come off of a you know a run on Batman, and we have a new actor playing Superman. Brandon Routh is not reprising his role. A British guy named Henry Cavill is. Uh, Ryan, what do you think about Man of Steel? I had such high hopes coming into Man of Steel. It looked like it was going to be a good kind of ground level story retelling of the story of Superman. Um, in a nutshell, I, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's it's an okay film. Uh, I do not personally care for the representation of Superman in this particular DC universe. I think they tried to make him too much like Batman, the gritty, like, I'm angry and I've got... They gave Superman this angst, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I think, in a a way to make him more interesting, but which doesn't make sense to me because the original um, Christopher Reeve Superman has none of that. And Mm -hmm. to me, it's, it's the best representation of Superman. 
who's just so full of hope. Like, in his teenage years, he had that angst, but then when he figured out who he was... Right, well, this Superman still has that angst because his dad sucks as a person. That's yes, true. Does. That was poorly done, the whole tornado-like stop sun. Yeah, that... Or the let an entire let, let school drown. bus full of children die. Yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah, it's... It's it's they're going for the that darker feel, and I mm-hmm. think that's what a lot of people people have problems with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of they're trying they're trying to do a superhero movie, but serious. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is just the stupidest thing to me. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, that's why Marvel is kicking so much butt because they're not denying who they are. It's like no, we're a superhero movie. We get we own that. It's gonna be fun. There's gonna be. There can be some serious moments, but you're coming here for fun. You're not coming here for philosophical <laughs> questions about where my place in the universe is. And DC's going that route, which in comics, yeah, that can work. In movies, especially with the tone that superheroes marvel the bar that Marvel set, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Yeah. And Man of Steel fell short. I mean, you just talk... I mean, I was reading today... The Dawn of Justice, the beginning, is supposed to be an answer to everyone's pissed off remarks about, he killed everyone in Metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's supposed to be that repercussions to that. But, sorry, that whole rant to say, I thought it was okay, but I, I had nothing to write home about, in my opinion. Corey, I think we don't need huh. to be on this episode. I think we can <laughs> no. just let Ryan go. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Man of Steel is a movie that I kind of Spider-Man 3'd myself on. Which is... I'm so glad that's a thing on this podcast. The, the thing is, well, okay, so Spider-Man, my history of Spider-Man 3 is I was directing a youth group at the time, and that came out that summer that I was directing that youth group, and I was like, oh, I'll do my big summer series like of messages, and then we'll uh, tie it into, like, it was like Superheroes of the Bible or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we'll... Uh, We'll cap it. I'll teach my last lesson, and then we'll, the next week we'll all go see Spider Man three, and it's gonna be great. It looks so good. But then Spider Man three came out, and my uh, friends uh, who were co interning with me at the time texted me, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna go see Spider Man three tonight. I know, like, we're gonna go see it next week with the kids, but I mean, it's gonna be good, right?" And we were like, Hey, can't it's gonna be good. Let's go see this. And then we were like, "What?" This, this is where that little did he know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah very much so. Oh, man. Fast forward to the only time I've ever actively texted during a movie uh, was opening night of Spider-Man Three, uh, texting my friend Ryan, going, "Not you," and going, uh, "Is this for real?" And him going, "Sad face." That was it. <laughs> And, uh, That's all you can say. We had to see it a second time, though, because we had oh. already bought all the tickets for the kids to go, and uh-huh. we were like in charge of the group, so we couldn't just be like, all right, go hang out by yourselves. I had to see that movie two times in theaters. I'm I, so sorry. I yes. had to see uh. Man of Steel two times in theaters mm. because it came out Father's Day weekend. My dad's a huge Superman fan. It's his favorite superhero of all time. He mm-hmm. loves Superman. Yeah. So I was like, this is going to be good. I'll... <laughs> I know I have plans to go see it with my friends next weekend, and it was the first time we were going to go down to see it in Dolby Atmos. We were traveling to see it in uh, in Atmos, which is I've talked at length about on this podcast, and uh, it was before it came to our town, and I was like, oh, whatever, like, I'll go see it with my dad, like, it's going to be, like, it looks great, yeah. so why not? And then I was like, oh, this is boring. <laughs> this is a boring movie. Yeah. Wow, this is boring. 
And uh, so the second time, I had to drive two hours to L.A. to see it. Oh, And I sorry. already knew it was boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, ah, we already bought the tickets. Like, I can't just, I just, yeah. I can't just not go. And, yeah. So I went, sat through it again. Feelings still didn't change. It's the last time I saw it was the second time I saw it in theaters. But it's just, it's so boring to me. Like, yeah. the, my mm-hmm. biggest complaint with the movie is <clears throat> it feels like, two separate decks of cards that no one shuffled together Mm -hmm. but they were supposed to because the movie's like an hour of setup and then an hour of everything blowing up and i don't necessarily have that big of a problem with all the destruction of metropolis that happens at the end of the movie yeah i have a problem with the fact that it all happens in that last hour like it's just so (laughs) exhausting to watch I fell asleep both times I saw this movie in theaters because I was so exhausted from all the action. And it just like, but then all the emotion was up front. So it was really like unbalanced. Yeah. So it, was, it wasn't like talking, 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 emotion, action beat, talking, 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 emotion, action beat. Yep. It was just all of that up front and then all the action beats at the end. Mm. And it just it did not do it for me. And then they completely betrayed the character of Superman, not by having him kill. I'm actually a mostly fine with him killing Zod. Yeah. He steals something in this movie. Yeah. He steals at the beginning of it. And I was like, what? Superman would never <laughs> steal anything. It's a Superman movie for people who hate Superman. Yeah. So that's how I feel about Man of Steel. Corey, what about you? I feel like you guys have said everything. Like, I mean, my two cents. This isn't a good representation of Superman. It's like, this is a problem that a lot of superhero films tend to have. It's like, they just don't understand the character. <clears throat> and that, that's what happened in this. And to piggyback off of what you said, MJ, yeah, just structurally, like, the plot, and, like, you know, we're talking about, like, the outline of how a movie should go. It's just, like, all exposition, like, the first hour, and it's, like, not even good exposition, because it's, like, <clears throat> if you're familiar with these characters at all, you're, like, that's not how they would act. That's yeah. not how Superman would act. Why is he, why is his father telling him to do that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Doesn't feel like Superman. And then when we get to the the latter part of the movie, like, I remember watching it and being, like, if you guys are familiar with, like, Dragon Ball Z, it's like, this feels like a Dragon Ball Z episode. They're just fighting indefinitely. <laughs> oh, there goes Superman through another building. No one talks. And then he comes back out and just, oh, my gosh. And it's just like, okay, he blew up another building. He threw Zod into another car. There's a back and forth. And it's just like, not, oh. so that's that's just how I felt. It's just, it felt like it didn't stop. And so when they finally get to the subway station, he snaps his neck. I'm just like, thank goodness. Let's just finally. Let's just go home. Just an exhausted Corey in the middle of a theater going, finally. <laughs> so that's that's how I felt. And so when people have asked me, like, leading up to this movie, I've just kind of been like, I'm lukewarm about it. I don't know. I didn't really like Man of Steel. And it's not like I hate DC, because there are some DC characters I really like. Like, I'm a big fan of Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and, I mean, that's a whole other talk. That <laughs> I haven't seen it. You don't need to. Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on it. Although, it does make that one scene in Deadpool much more Oh yeah, funny. Don't make it CGI? Yeah. Or green. <laughs> or green. <laughs> no. But I, I just feel like, I don't know if it's just the writers that they pick to, like, front these DC movies, but they just don't understand the characters. And so, yeah, Man of Steel has all those problems against it, so I, I, I guess I'm, like, lukewarm at best on Man of Steel. Okay. Yeah. This Friday or Thursday, I guess, uh, Batman v Superman, Colin Dawn of Justice, 
opens in theaters. Zack Snyder's directing it. And it's the first time these two, like, the arguably the two most iconic comic book characters of all time mm-hmm. are going to be in a movie together. And Henry Cavill is reprising his role as Clark Kent slash Superman. Ben Affleck is Batman slash Bruce Wayne in this movie. So what are what are your overall thoughts plus your thoughts about Ben Affleck coming back to superheroes? Ryan, I'll, I will let you take this one. Uh, I'll start with the Ben Affleck, so this Ben Affleck side of that. Uh, I think Ben Affleck wants redemption for mm. Daredevil. Yeah, um, because that is such a like a reviled movie. Mm. I don't think it's that bad personally. Um, it's not that great, but I don't I don't see it as like this malignant cancer. Yeah, that I, I also think the movie's just okay. Yeah, I feel like it was the downturn of like it almost kind of killed superhero movies the potential what it yeah. spawned well what i don't get is the same director that that like hey we're gonna give you ghost rider that, that worked out anyways uh, I hate that um movie. but i personally i have been on board for ben affleck to to be the batman to be bruce wayne um i thought that was a good choice i think he'll do a great job and i felt that way because of the movie the town mm. seeing mm-hmm. that Gave me confidence. Yeah, he can do this. He I, he is a good actor. He's just has made some poor choices in films or or whatnot. Um, but he is a, he's a good storyteller, mm-hmm. um, and he can do that really well. So I think he'll do a really good job as Batman. I think that probably will be one of the redeeming qualities if we're doing foreshadowing of the movie. Will be his role and and how he plays Batman and Bruce Wayne, like balancing that out. Okay. Yeah, so what are your thoughts slash expectations for the movie as a whole? Um, as a film buff, I think it's going to be terrible. As a nerd, I think it'll be sweet to see all these characters in the mm. movie. To see Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, apparently Aquaman, Flash. They're supposed to have the like little... Cyborg, these little tiny mini cameos. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I'm excited just to see that. Will it be well done? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like I have realistic expectations. It's just there's just that giddiness of like it, this might this whole this will probably be crap. But later on, if it survives, <laughs> you know, maybe someone else will do these characters justice. Um, we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that. Um, so, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It yeah. does. So, add, like, lukewarm, kind of. Yeah, very, very mm-hmm. lukewarm. Like, in the beginning, I was super excited for it. First trailer, super excited for it. Second trailer, <laughs> yeah, it was like a cliff dive. Yeah. Like, yes. oh, that's the whole movie in three minutes. Yeah. Okay. And everything looks like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is something I was talking to my wife about, Lisa. It seems like they're going the route of Spider-Man 3 because they're just trying to cram. Because mm-hmm. when I saw Doomsday, I was like, oh. Really? <laughs> really? You don't think Batman versus Superman with a Wonder Woman cameo was enough? you got to throw that mofo into it. That, yeah. that should be its own movie. Yes. Not like this, let's just get everybody <laughs> So, um, and... Spoiler, 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 spoiler warning. If you don't... Spoiler. 
Get out of here. Yes. Fast forward one minute if you want to avoid probably a major spoiler. Doomsday's in it because he's partially made of kryptonite. Uh, And that's what makes Superman human to fight Batman. I read that in a review today. I didn't care that that was a spoiler, by the way. I was just like, whatever. That's okay. Uh, I actually think that's a really good idea. But um, I think it's probably the best idea in the movie. I just don't know what they're going to do with him. Yeah, fair enough. Because, again, like I said, that that should have been its own movie with Superman. And it seems like this is... We're trying the dawn of justice thing. We're trying to create the origin of everything, but it's just going to be too. I, and Zack Snyder can't. I don't think he can handle. Oh, he does not have know, the skill set whatsoever. All these things. If it was a different director, I'd say okay. Like, not to go into the topic, but Civil War. Yeah, I think that movie is going to handle the gajillion superheroes perfectly. Yep. Yeah. I have yep. The yep. full amount of confidence. In yes. That. I have zero confidence. <laughs> That Zack Snyder's going to be able to handle... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just too many moving parts. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I... I guess... I guess, like, my take is even... It's more negative than that. I... <laughs> I hate the Daredevil movie, and I hate the Electra movie it spawned, and... <laughs> been this angry on the podcast and it's my favorite thing that's ever happened i've never been on board with this movie happening i mean like even from the beginning maybe like a little bit because i knew the source material because you let me read the dark knight returns and i was like that is that's really cool like that was a really good like superman batman story and i was like if they're going to adapt a lot of like what is going on in that graphic novel to film, that would be a sweet movie. I'd be totally on board for seeing that. Like Superman's kind of under the thumb of the government and but because it feels like they're just like a lot of fans know about that arc and we have the two biggest like kind of like iconic superheroes. We gotta get them into this film. And then they start to see like what Marvel has been doing and they've been wanting to make their own kind of version of the MCU and they're just like, We just gotta front load this thing. So we'll we'll <laughs> yeah. say it's Batman v Superman and then we'll get the Justice League in there and then we'll try to interconnect the network. And so just from the start, like kind of knowing all of that was coming down the pipe, I never had high expectations for this film. Saw the first trailer, I was kinda like Man, about it. I don't know about Ben Affleck. He kind of burned me a lot in Daredevil because <laughs> I really like Daredevil. Uh, he's he's probably up there on my list of like favorite superheroes. I just think he's really interesting. He's a very interesting character, and they just completely like just mutilated him in that movie. So it's like I don't know about Ben Affleck being Bruce Wayne, Batman. We'll see. Like the the first trailer, I was like, okay, maybe maybe he might do a good job. We'll see. But then that second trailer came out, and like you said, Ryan, I was just like, oh crap, <laughs> <laughs> this is what this is going to be. And it was so bad that like you know they were like, we gotta we have to retcon that very quickly. And then you know that give them Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Then that other trailer came out that was like what like a minute and a half mostly Batman like yeah. all the Batman scenes I'm like okay that looks pretty sweet but I know that's not going to be most of the movie yeah. that's going to be like a fourth of the movie if that mm-hmm. and so I I just don't have a lot of hope for this film um I and I usually try to be the positive person that says like I'm gonna like it in spite of itself yeah but I really I really have no interest to go see this movie this is going to be a terrible film <laughs> And it's just, I don't know, 
their expanded universe, I feel like, is going... This is where it's going to die. I might as well just, like, get the gravestone ready and be like, okay, Suicide Squad is going to happen because it's already have the funding. But they're like, we're going to have an Aquaman movie, and we're going to have... It's not going to happen. It's just, it, I don't think can, it's going to happen. Can I just say, audience, I've, I've known Corey not very long. But this behavior is even shocking to me. Because he's such best. a soft-spoken man. <laughs> I, and the dude is turning red oh, with rage, and it's amazing. And it's, oh. and it's and it's not like I hate DC because I do have kind of a partiality to Marvel. But there's a lot of DC characters I like, like I've mentioned before. But I just whatever's going on over there, they just don't know how to get it together. And a lot of the great DC characters that I love will never get adapted to film or just have yeah. really crappy representations already. I think something me and you, MJ, talked about was how Marvel, their movies, they have to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. With DC, Warner Brothers, yeah. they don't have to succeed. They've got a million other things. Yeah, they're not DC Studio. Yep. Yeah, it's so Warner it's, Brothers. It's this larger thing. Yeah, so. it's, it's not a, you know, it's this Hollywood or bust mentality. It's kind of like, yeah. well, if it works, it works. If not, well, then we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yes, you hit the nail on the head. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about that conversation. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a big thing where, you know, Batman... You know, if Batman v Superman flops, then it flops, but War of the Planet of the Apes is coming out from the same studio next year. Yeah. You know, uh, it's going to be fine. You know, Warner Brothers is, not only that, they're an established studio. They've been around since the early days of cinema. Yeah. They're going to be fine. Yep. Yeah. So they don't have to care. There's no reason for them to give a crap about this. Yeah. And besides, they'll just they have freaking Fantastic Beasts somewhere to find them. Yep. That's probably not going to be that good either, but it's going to make way it'll, more money yeah, than Batman. It'll yeah, print well, money. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's it's true. Um, yeah, I guess I'll I'll go. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, this is usually we do not by choice or anything, but it, just because our schedules work out, we usually record on Monday nights, and we're recording this on a Tuesday night. And as of the time of this recording, embargo has been lifted on this, so the critic reviews can come out. So at the time of us talking about this, the critic reviews are out. They're usually not. So we've had all day, or at least the better part mm-hmm. of the afternoon before recording, to read some of these reviews, and they are bad. Yep. Man, they're bad. <laughs> uh, the GQ review said, Batman v Superman will make you hate Batman, <laughs> Superman, and the Justice League. It's something about... It will. It's so bad that it will make you wonder if anything like if anything <clears throat> if any such thing as a hero has ever existed. <laughs> now I wasn't anticipating that. I figured the movie wouldn't be that good, but I figured the movie would be okay. But Ben Affleck would be incredible in it. Yeah, that's how I thought this movie was going to go down. Like I, the movie doesn't look that good to me, but it doesn't look straight horrendous to me. Like, <laughs> It does not look like a train wreck like apparently it is. So I'm kind of baffled by the reviews. So part of like, there's part of me that sees all these reviews and I'm like, this many people can't be that wrong about it. And then there's part of me that's like, but couldn't they like just, and not even to be this hopeful like Bat fan, like Batman's my favorite superhero of all time. But, you know, one of the things that I think since they're drawing from Dark Knight Returns, one of the things that isn't working is 
Superman isn't under the thumb of the government. Yeah. And I think if we were in a Trump presidency, that would be a different story. If they made this movie after, if Trump became president, and they made this movie during his presidency, they would totally touch on that. But because right now we don't have someone, I mean, you know, uh, in in the comics, Superman's under the thumb of Reagan, who a lot of people like, but Frank Miller was... Mm-hmm. Uh, is well, even he's a conservative, isn't he? I don't know. He was liberal at the time. Oh, was he? I think okay, so. I think he's he's calmed down. But so yeah. Frank Miller was a hardcore liberal at the time, so he viewed Reagan as kind of how most people view Trump now. Yeah, the establishment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so so you know it was coming. It, it came out in this Reagan era. We don't really have like a president that's that divisive yeah. necessarily. Like mm-hmm. I mean, people have their opinions on him and stuff, but he's not like. I feel like, you know, Reagan was super polarizing. I don't think Obama's as polarizing. So mm-hmm. they they haven't they're they're not going to be touching on that. Yeah, I think if Trump were president, they would be. They absolutely would be. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know, the, the Superman, the symbol of patriotism, being used as a tool of fascism, like that yeah. plays right into a Trump presidency, right? <laughs> so it it doesn't. It, it, I really kind of wish this would. Like, I mean, I don't want Trump to no, be president. No, let's never say that. Yeah, that's not a thing. But if it were to happen, I think having this movie come out during a Trump presidency, it would it would touch on the political stuff. And that's some of my favorite Superman stuff in that book. Yes, is the the fact that he's being controlled by the government. And this yeah. isn't a thing. Like, this is not a thing in this. It loses like half the gravitas of the story. Exactly. It's like, why exactly. do we care? He's been Superman for like, what, maybe a year? Yeah. yeah. And he well, fought one guy? In the comics, it's a battle of ideologies. Yes. Yeah. In the movie, it's more like, I don't understand you. I don't understand you. Well, let's fight. That's <laughs> 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 pretty much all it is. <laughs> We are still alive if you're listening. (laughs) Oh man. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's. If you guys could have seen the physicality of that, it added so much more to. Oh my gosh. I mean, you're right, Ryan. Yeah. Bruce Wayne just kind of flies off the handle just for, like, if there's even a 1% chance I have to kill him or whatever. Yeah. 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 So I think. I still think Ben Affleck's going to be really, really good in this movie. I think he looks like. The best part of the movie. I think he looks like the best part of the movie, but I also think he looks like the best Bruce Wayne ever on film. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about his Batman. We'll see. Jury's still out on that. The action with Batman looks sweet. I'm not super into the like the Batman voice being back. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know it's now it's going to be like a voice modulator, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. Which, to me, that makes sense. And not to, they're not going to try and outdo Christian Bale. Christian Bale, yeah. you know, the whole rasping voice. It's like a... You know, makes sense, but yeah. Well, so I always, I'm actually, I'm fine with the Christian Bale Batman voice. I don't, it doesn't greet me the way it does a lot of people, mm-hmm. but only because I've always assumed it was a voice changer. Because why wouldn't Batman have a voice changer? Because if he didn't, people would be like, "You sound a lot like Bruce Wayne." Yeah. yeah. So I've always just written that off as a voice changer, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> back to the topic. Like, I, I don't know if his. I don't know. His Batman looks interesting, but his Bruce Wayne looks incredible. I think he's mm-hmm. going to nail Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And one of the things I have not seen Henry Cavill do is nail Clark Kent 
or Superman. (laughs) Which is a problem. Yeah, which is a huge problem. And apparently I do like Henry Cavill. I thought I didn't, but then I saw him in Man from Uncle. Yeah. And he's great yeah, in he's that awesome. movie. He's Have you seen that? I haven't. I really want really He's really good. He's really good in that. Yeah. 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 And he just, there's no personality to his Superman <laughs> whatsoever. Do you, do you think that's the fault of Snyder? I think Snyder's? it, no. I no? think it's the fault of David S. Goyer, the screenwriter, who I hate. Mm. I do, he's my mm. least favorite screenwriter in Hollywood. I don't know why he keeps getting so many big things. I think David S. Goyer does one thing well, and that's big story like big plot point ideas but if you let him write dialogue it's the worst he wrote Man of Steel and he's writing this and the dialogue Uh, was terrible in Man of Steel and it looks just as bad if not worse than this so yeah Uh, I I think I think it's a major failing of David S. Goyer Uh, David S. Goyer is the guy who said that She-Hulk was do you remember remember this? I remember that She-Hulk was basically calling her a slut yeah I remember the writer of the, the comic was like well now I'm sad you're a dick (laughs) <laughs> well, that well. So basically, what he said is that She-Hulk is the ultimate male power fantasy because she's the only other thing that Hulk can have sex with. What? She's his cousin, cousin dude. Uh, that was the last uh, character Stanley created. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that because he created her just because the the TV show was going on at the same time. Oh. And so he's like, well, before they create a She-Hulk, I'm gonna do it. Oh. Huzzah! Got it. Excelsior. Excelsior. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that's like, that's the guy we're dealing with. He's the guy who writes all the major comic book movies, yet completely fails to understand these characters on a base level of who they are. <laughs> what are you writing? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, that's the guy who wrote this movie. Is it a surprise that it's bad at this point? I don't think so. Um... Yeah, it's a uh, oh man. Can I can I jump in here? We're talking about characters and stuff real quick. I'm not on board with how Lex Luthor is portrayed. Oh I, I'm yeah, not, I'm not down with Jesse Eisenberg. Is no, that, I'm <clears throat> quirky McSchmuck. Yes. I'm I'm I we're, we'll see. I'm probably not going to be down with Amy Adams as Lois Lane. I'm not going to be down with. Uh, the portrayal of Wonder Woman in this movie. I heard and she's really good. Really? I was going to say, that I, between her and Ben Affleck, I feel like they're going to do a decent job. I heard the two of them are the biggest redeeming factors it, in the entire movie. Is she going to be written well, though? Everything I've read says that she's the best part of the movie. And I would hope they do that, <clears> because this is the first time she's ever going to be on film. So if they F that up, yeah. they're going to have a lot of people Yeah, it's going to be a mob of people. Sorry. No, no. But, I mean, that's good to hear. I didn't know. I've, I've really been keeping my distance from this movie and reading stuff, like, very keeping it to a minimal. So, I don't know. I just feel like, and what you just have told me about this writer even more, it's just like, <clears throat> it sounds like he fundamentally misunderstands these characters. Like he just Almost on purpose, it seems like. And so, I'm just not looking forward to how he's, the interpretations we're going to get of all these people, you yeah. know? Like, primarily, like, Lex Luthor. Like... And the thing is, like, all all of these are seeds of good ideas. Batman versus Superman, that's such a good idea for a movie. Like, totally make that Let's movie. Let's just have that. Let's just have that. We don't need, like, the Spider-Man 3 epidemic. Well, well here's Doomsday, and here's Lex Luthor. And- right. Well, but also, like, Lex Luthor, but, like, reinterpreted to be, like, a tech mogul. Yeah. Such a good idea. Yeah. But, like, the way they've executed it looks so poor. Yeah. I don't know. When I, when I first heard about Jesse Eisenberg becoming Lex Luthor, I thought, that's a bold choice. Mm -hmm. I'm interested. I I, I don't know if it'll be bad or good, but I think, okay, let's see him do something different. 
seeing the first trailer with him. Yikes. I just thought, so you're playing the Lex Luthor from the 1940s comic. He <laughs> was bat crap crazy. Yeah. And not what he became, which was like a legitimate threat, like a calculating kind yeah, of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were going with more of the mad scientist vibe, it feels like. I'm like, Oh, I feel about that. Also, I read this thing where the scene where he shaves his head, mm-hmm. it is they shot it on full IMAX for some reason. That's <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jesse Eisenberg's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it big. <laughs> <laughs> Corey's head is now on the table. Uh, Yeah, I'm not super on board with Jesse Eisenberg's performance, and I'm I'm once again he's a Hills and Valleys guy yeah, for me. I, I don't I like him people, in some stuff. People hate that guy, but I've seen him be good. I've seen him be bad. So when he was announced, I was like, he goes either way with me, so I'm fine. Mm. Uh, and then like seeing the trailer, I was like, oh, it's this version of Jesse yeah, Eisenberg. Well, yeah. just seeing even like the type of lines they give him, I'm yeah. just like, oh man, he had some of the worst lines in that trailer. Yeah, he does. He really does. I love bringing people together. Oh. <laughs> Oh. And he's like flicking her head. Oh. Yeah. Is it a three syllable word for mine's too small or yeah, yeah. Something, something. Something. It sounds like it like it sounds like he's channeling like doing a really crap impression <laughs> of Heath Ledger's Joker as Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I could, I could get some of that from Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That's it'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Uh do you guys have anything else to add? I was going to say like we have been we've been very down <sighs> on this movie and yeah. I've probably been front center leading that charge. Is there anything positive we have to say about so, this movie? Positive. Yes. My biggest thing, the thing I am I am legit excited about is seeing Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman in a movie together. Hopefully kicking butt. Um, that to me is exciting. As a nerd, that that's a cool mm-hmm. moment. You can't deny that yeah. as a sweet moment for nerds, whether you're a DC fan or not. Uh, I mean, will it be executed well or not? I'm leaning towards the. Uh, I maybe I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm feeling <laughs> not, but um, it, I think that'll be at least a sweet moment to be like, okay, yeah, these characters together. If if anything, there's still Suicide Squad. <laughs> Coming this year, which I, like I said, I'm I'm more excited for that yeah, me too. than for this. But if this movie sucks, hopefully it'll make enough money that it can pass the baton off to somebody else, and then it'll hopefully get better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's the hope I have. It's not much of a hope. Yeah. But... Uh, I'm mainly excited for Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, um, yeah. I think one of the things that people forget, you know, people are like, oh, he was Daredevil. He took a bunch of years off after oh, he yeah. was in that string of movies because it was like Daredevil, Jersey Girl, Gigli. Like he he was like not <laughs> no one nobody liked, liked him. Nobody liked him. Uh, but it was weird because he was in Goodwill Hunting and he's great in that movie. And so we all knew there was a good actor in Ben Affleck. And so he took a bunch of years off. And when he came back, he didn't come back to act. He came back to direct. He directed his brother in a movie called Gone Baby Gone, which is an incredible movie. So depressing, but an incredible movie. And his next performance, he directed himself in a movie called The Town, and Mm -hmm. that's an incredible movie. And then he directed himself again in a movie called Argo, which I think is actually the weakest of his three movies that he's directed, but it won Best Picture at the Oscars that year, Mm -hmm. and he's really good in it. Um, 
So I think Ben Affleck, like people write him off but forget like the last maybe seven to eight years of his career Mm -hmm. have been really good. And so I think think Ben Affleck is actually a really good choice to play like old grizzled Batman Mm -hmm. slash Bruce Wayne. I'm really looking forward to him in this movie. Yeah. But that's about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I would agree with you. I'm, I'm very interested to see his portrayal of Batman. And I guess kind of just from like a nerd geek's point of view, I'm excited to kind of see Superman Batman fight. I mean, like yeah. just to see the yeah. armored tech bat suit, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, that'll be sweet. Um, but I mean, like, that's that's kind of about it. I'm not expecting awesome world building or like how they're going to cameo the other Justice League characters. It's probably not going to be handled well. Seeing yeah. Wonder Woman will be cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. We'll see. Uh, so I guess we'll be back next week to hash right. this out for realsies. Who <laughs> 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 man, this was awesome, you guys. Thank you, uh, Ryan, oh. for being here. Yes. And Ryan will be back next week. Obviously. Yes, sir. I'll be here. Looking forward to it. Yep. Um, yeah. Until uh, then, you can find us on Facebook, um, SoundCloud, iTunes. Rate us. Review. Give us five stars. It helps put us on the charts, and mm-hmm. we appreciate that. Uh, at Before and After Pod on Twitter. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. I'm at MJ Smith 891 on Twitter. And I am at Cat in, ha- Cat in the Hat 49 on Twitter. Ryan, are you on Twitter? I am not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at nothing. <laughs> um, and until next week, go watch... Batman and Superman movies. (laughs) The good ones. Makana-san. Makana-san.